How are you out there? Amen. Well, let's get our Bibles out tonight. I don't know if that was a really heavy time of worship or I just need a nap. Sometimes we should be allowed to just bask in the Lord's presence, amen. One of these Sundays, the worship team's just going to lay down. And Matthew 24, uh, looking at Jesus' response to the question of what would be the signs of his coming. He's giving what theologians call the, the Olivet Discourse here as he shares all these parables about readiness and preparedness. He's given many signs of his coming, and uh, we're going to shift right into uh, a parable that he uses to illustrate it. How many understand Jesus wanted to connect with those he was speaking to? And as much as he was allowed to, because there were certain things that they couldn't understand or didn't need to understand at that point, so he, he would speak in a way that was cryptic. But as for us believers who are New Testament Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, everything here is alive, everything is understandable, even though there are seasons, especially in eschatology, where things make more sense. How many understand before Israel became a nation again in 1947, uh, uh, people would look at certain scriptures and go, how in the world is that going to work out? And theologians came up with different ideas about how to explain it into a you know, kind of their system of eschatology, but when Israel became a nation, then we could understand how things are going to happen because now there's a geographical spot where the Jewish people have congregated and, and things make sense. Are you tracking with me tonight? So these things are becoming more and more clear as the time approaches. And uh, we live in a generation where I believe uh, it's an open book to us and as many of us who will dig in and uh, let the Holy Spirit just open these things up to us, are going to have understanding for the times that we're in. So let's thank God for the word tonight. I'm going to read Matthew 24, 32 through 35, uh, looking at a, a parable, a fresh one here. Father, we thank you tonight for this time together where we can just explore your word and enjoy uh, the hidden treasures you've put in there for those who seek you with their whole heart. Father, we thank you that we are children of God, filled with the Holy Ghost and well able to understand the precepts and the teaching of your word, Lord. Nothing is too much for us because you open it up to us and you explain it to us and you make it real to us. So we ask you to do that tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 24, starting in verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near and at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means pass away. Short few verses there, but there again, always just full of things that are exciting for us as believers and exciting for us who are looking for the coming of the Lord. Jesus shifts the dialogue here from his explanation of the signs. He's covered a lot of signs, uh, and now he's going to shift gears and go into a few parables. Remember, a parable is a simple story using common everyday things that people can understand to relate deeper spiritual meaning. So Jesus uses a fig tree. We're going to look at that in a minute here, but he uses things that people can understand 
And they're simple, but they reveal a deeper spiritual truth. And that's what we're seeing here. And that's why he's using them here, because he wants to convey more than just a list of signs that would designate his coming, but he wants them to see some, uh, you know, he wants them to understand the times and the seasons, and he wants to use ordinary things to do it. So here is this parable in verse 32 of the fig tree. People in that culture knew about fig trees. They knew about figs. They knew when they were in season. They knew with uh, the phase of the fig tree and what corresponded with what season. They knew all about figs. We're not so much into figs here in the West. In fact, most of us, the fig experience ends at Fig Newtons. I know Fig Newtons. Anybody know Fig Newtons? I know I can eat a whole sleeve of them before my wife catches me and hides the rest. So we don't really know figs well, but that culture knew figs well, and they knew everything he was talking about. Tender branches meant the summer was near, and they all got that. The tenderness of the branch revealed the coming of the season. Uh, God wants us to think about the tenderness of certain things to reveal what season we're in. The first implication of this parable is that we should be able to discern the changing of spiritual seasons just as people could discern the change of seasons according to a fig tree. That culture got it. They understood. We are catching up a little bit with that on the whole fig deal. But what the message is here is that we should be able to discern the seasons. We should be able to discern the signs of the times as God's people. Amen. There's no reason for us to be confused. There's no reason for us to be ignorant. The Holy Spirit's given us everything we need. The Word of God has shown us everything we need. And all we have to do is unpack it. And so here's this fig tree illustration. The people are connecting with it. And the message here is that we should be able to discern certain seasons, the times, and, and these things that are coming. Now, this parable is all about discernment, how God's people should have it. You know, discernment is something that, you know, some of us don't give ourselves enough credit. We do have discernment. A lot of us, you know, especially being from New York here, you know, we have to have a different level of awareness, especially if you're in the city. Come on, how many know when you go into the city, like I'm from the city, but I'm really raised in the country, but my parents raised me, so when I go down there, I'm on high alert. And my perception is up. Why? Because if you're to go country bumpkin wandering around there with your camera around your neck looking up at the, you're not going to have a wallet, you're not going to have shoes, you're going to have hubcaps on your car. You need some discernment. Come on, Wednesday night, loosen up a little bit. And, and the thing is that spiritually, we need some discernment too. Too many Christians are like that tourist in a big city, kind of wandering around, looking up at the skyscrapers, not, not aware of what's going on around them. And we need discernment. And here this culture had discernment about, you know, agriculture and these figs and when the branches get tender. They knew all these things. They knew summer was coming. So uh, this parable talks to us about discernment. Now, what do we need to know about discernment? What is discernment, number one? It's the, it is the natural... Let me just try and say this without messing it up. It's the ability to make smart judgments about things, the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. Did you catch that? Let me say it again. It's the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure, the ability to make smart judgments about things. How many think that those are important qualities to have? 
How many would say that maybe in your youth or maybe before you were Christian, you didn't have the ability to make smart judgments about things and you made bad decisions? If you won't be honest, I'll raise both hands. One for me, one for you. But we all did. Without Jesus, we're just kind of, you know, just kind of guessing. Yet in Christ, we should have discernment. We should be able to grasp and comprehend things that are obscure, things that other people who, who are not believers, who are not filled with the Holy Spirit, who are not in tune with the pulse of what's going on in the season that we're in here, we should be able to pick these things up and make smart judgments about them. Discernment is, you know, is having those qualities, but it's also a spiritual gift. Do you realize that all of us Christians should have a measure of discernment? And you can't think, well, I have no discernment. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just going to hope that the pastor clues me. No, you have to have discernment. There's times where it's just you and you're all by yourself and you need to make a decision. So you got to have that. But discernment beyond that is a spiritual gift. Some people have an amazing level of discernment and it comes from a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to 1 Chronicles 12.32. Time for a drink. This is getting good. So Chronicles 12, 32, listen to this. For the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200 and their kinsmen were at their command. So here are these guys mentioned in the book of Chronicles, Jewish people, the sons of Issachar, and they had this special level of discernment as a people. Look what it says. They understood the times. What's that all about? That means spiritually they could discern the, the olive branch was soft. We're in this season. They could discern things. They understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Did you hear that? See, when you operate in the gift of discernment, you not only know what season you're in, you not only know what time it is spiritually, but you know what to do. And that's why we need discernment. You guys are all looking at me like, man, I don't know about this discernment stuff. Trust me, you have more than you realize. By the looks on your face, you're thinking, ah. It's funny. I should get a camera up here just because some of you don't believe me. But, you know, we have it. We have the Holy Spirit. We just need to learn to tune into him. You know, God is speaking through the Spirit. He's a still, small voice. Well, I don't hear anything. It's too noisy. We've got too much other noise. We've got too much other stimulation. Come on, look at our culture, how overstimulated we are. We'll sit in front of the TV looking at two phones at the same time with our laptop out. That's overstimulated. Then we're like, I can't hear God. Turn that stuff off. You can't even hear your spouse who's texting you next to you on the couch. So the sons of Issachar, they had, they had understanding of the times. They knew the seasons. They knew what Israel should do. And, and they were a group of people within Israel who had a special level of discernment, a gift of discernment. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12.10. To another, the working of miracles. We're talking about spiritual gifts here in 1 Corinthians 12. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. 1 Corinthians 12 lists all, you know, a good chunk of the gifts of the Spirit. And one of them is the Spirit, is the is discerning of Spirit. So it's discernment in a spiritual sense, discerning spiritual things. How many, how many know sometimes we need to be able to discern the enemy and what he's doing? You know, not everything is the devil, not everything is a demon, but sometimes it is. 
And if God's people are the last ones to figure it out and we're sending them to psychologists and we're saying up your medication and all this stuff, and sometimes it's just a spiritual thing, we need people who can discern spiritual things in this time, in this season, amen. And so God wants to pour this gift out on the body of Christ. We've got a large portion of the body of Christ that thinks that God put, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 in there, and then all of a sudden he, he took all those gifts away and they died with the apostles. I want to tell you that's completely wrong. These gifts are for the body of Christ. It says, you know, in, in, the, in the last days, what I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. We're going to dream dreams. We're going to prophesy. We're going to do work miracles, all that stuff in the last days. And so if the gifts ceased, then what's happening now? And when's God going to reactivate them again? Listen, these gifts are available. You and I need to pray to God that he would give us discernment, that he would allow our spiritual gifts to be developed and used. Because the last thing we need to be doing is stumbling around in the dark, confused when, when we're in this season where we should be looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. So discernment's a spiritual gift. Discernment's something all of us have. It's the ability to make smart judgments about things, especially spiritual things. It's the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. So pray to God that he would give you discernment. Pray to God that he would activate discernment in the body of Christ. The greatest way to grow in discernment, other than praying for the gift and cultivating what you have and asking God to, you know, open the eyes of your understanding, the greatest way to grow our discernment is to fill ourselves with God's word. Look, what's going to change us from the inside out is God's word. The more of this you and I get in us, the more we read and get through our mind and into our hearts, the more we're going to be able to discern things around us when they don't line up spiritually, when they're incorrect. The word of God. The reason that a lot of Christians don't have any discernment is because they don't have enough Bible in them. They go to churches that are social groups. They go to churches that preach the same old stuff, and they never, they never get deep. They never dig into eschatology. They never, you, you know, they, they never get the word. So, listen, you're in a place where the word goes forth. Soak it up. Get it in you. But, but still, that's not enough. You've got to go home, and you've got to be in the word of God. You have got to get it in you. Amen. The more of God's word you get in you, the sharper your discernment will be by default. And so, you know, we get the word of God in us, and then simultaneously the other half of the equation is we disconnect ourselves from the world. You know, when we, when we fill ourselves with the word of God, when we begin to walk in the spirit, when we're praying and we're connected with God and we're right and there's no sin that we're, that's between us and God, we're confessed up and we're, we're walking right. Let me tell you something. Then you starve yourself from the world and you turn off that stuff. You begin to get so spiritually sharp that you probably start to scare yourself. <laughs> You'll start to hear God say things. You'll start to hear the whispers of the Holy Spirit. You, you, God will drop words into your heart. Come on, is anybody following me tonight? Amen? But, but it's got to be the two things. We got we to gotta, we gotta shut one thing down and we got to open the other thing up. It's like fasting. You starve your flesh, all of a sudden your spirit gets really sensitive. First you get hungry, then you get hangry, then it goes away. And then your spirit gets really sensitive. Then your flesh is down enough to where you can really connect and commune with God. 
So there's two ways to increase our discernment, and we need to do them both simultaneously. Fill ourselves with the word, shut ourselves off from the world. This recalibrates our minds. It, it pushes out the worldly wisdom, and, and it, it allows God's wisdom to take control. It makes us spiritually sensitive uh, so that, you know, everything in us that would clash with the word or everything in us that would refuse to believe the word can get rooted out of us. Jesus marveled at the religious crowd's lack of discernment. You know, most of the conflict that Jesus had, we know, was with the religious groups. And he, he marveled at their lack of discernment. Listen to Matthew 16, 1 through 4. The Pharisees, also with the Sadducees, came and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. So here comes the religious groups, and they want a sign. They want Jesus to perform for them, because as if what he's done is not enough, they want him to condescend to them, to win them over. So show us a sign. The, their heart was rotten here. Verse 2 of Matthew 16, he answered and said to them, what when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. So Jesus looks at these guys, and they have no discernment, and he says to them, you guys are ridiculous. That's the N-I-T, the new Italian version. You guys are ridiculous. You can look at the sky and tell the weather. You can look at the sky and say, oh, we shouldn't go out. You can read the weather from the sky, but the Messiah, who you say you're looking for, who the prophecies you can quote, is standing right in front of you, and you can't discern him. And then you want a sign. And he's like, you're not getting a sign except the sign of Jonah. And what he was referring to is that he would be put in the grave for three days and rise again, just like Jonah was in the fish and, and came out. So they didn't understand what he was talking about, so the sign meant nothing to them. But he just marveled at their lack of discernment. And I want to say something. You know what? He's like, you spiritual giants, you can tell the weather from the sky but you can't see me standing right in front of you. These men had ingested all the prophetic scriptures that described the Messiah, but they allowed their hearts to get so hard that they couldn't see him when he was right there. And this speaks of us and should be sobering to us because, you know what, God help us if we become the religious crowd. God help us if we become Pharisees. Yeah, they're still Pharisees. They're still Sadducees. And they're not in the world, they're in the church. This should be sobering to us that we should be careful to keep our hearts soft, as tender as those fig branches, that we wouldn't become so hard of heart that we would miss the truth when it's right in front of us. Jesus wanted his people to have discernment. He marveled at the religious crowd's lack of discernment. Verse 33 creates a sense of urgency and excitement. It says this, so you also, when you see all these things, now we're talking about signs and we listed a bunch of them, know that it is near at the door. Does that sound exciting? When something's near, when it's at the door? Come on, when you're waiting for company and you, and you hear them coming up the porch and you hear, they're here. Nobody likes company. You don't look excited. <laughs> But Jesus is saying, 
you see these signs happening? You see the things I'm talking about? They're clicking off. The tempo's increasing. It's happening rapidly. They're happening simultaneously. He, the time is here. It's at the door. So, you know, he's like creating a little sense of excitement in us uh, that we should be, you know, keyed in and ready and then watch the signs. And the signs shouldn't scare us. They should excite us. So also when you see these things, all the things we listed, all the signs that we talked about, know that it's near at the door. What's near? The return of the Lord Jesus Christ is near. Who's at the door? The bridegroom's at the door, ready to take his bride, the church, home with him for eternity. Come on, that's exciting stuff. Look, I want to be here as long as God wants me here. When God's done with me, I'm out of here. I'm going to drop the mic and I'm out of here. Okay, but I want to be useful all the time that I'm here, and I want to be looking for him. So he's, he's saying that he's coming. He's saying that it's at the door when we see the signs. God definitely wants us to be watching uh, for the second coming. He wants us living in what I call a state of perpetual readiness. Do you ever meet someone who, you know, what is it? The Boy Scouts say, always, pre- always be prepared, right? Those crazy Boy Scouts. But that's a good motto, to always be prepared. How many have been in a situation where you were completely unprepared? You're in an emergency. You're unprepared. You got no flashlight. You got no shovel. You got no nothing. You're just a spectator. You're an obstacle. You see, God wants us to live in this state of preparedness so that the coming of Jesus doesn't surprise us and shock us and catch us off guard. We're going to look at some parables, the ten virgins. The ten virgins, five were foolish, five were wise. Some of them were unprepared. So this idea of preparedness is going to thread through all the, uh, all the parables that we're going to look at in uh, Matthew 25. But I want, you, I want to put it out there that God wants you to live ready. He wants all of us in the church to live ready. Now, you say, okay, amen, pastor, we got it, move on. But here's the problem. Uh, Unfortunately, we have a problem to contend with, and it's called human nature. And human nature has proven that we have a very short attention span, especially with spiritual things. And when things don't happen immediately, according to our timetable, I was watching for Jesus last week. He didn't come. I'm, I'm out. That's it. A whole week I watched. You had your chance, Jesus, but it it didn't happen, so I'm out. See, we've got this short attention span about spiritual things. That's why pastors have to preach the same messages over and over again every once in a while. Yeah, I'm just just letting that settle in. Uh, We heard this before. We, we, We did Philippians before. And I always say, like, are we living it? Do we got it perfect? Do we got it all down? And it's like to keep us spiritually sharp. Human nature causes us to have this short attention span to forget about the imminency of his coming, to to just kind of get, you know, a little bit lethargic, a little bit lackadaisical. And before we know it, we fall asleep spiritually. The word constantly warns the church not to fall asleep. Wake up, O sleeper. You know, rise from your slumber. You know, this this idea of falling asleep spiritually is a legitimate thing. There again, when we look at the parable of the ten virgins, they were all there. They were all looking for the bridegroom. What would happen? They all fell asleep. You see, even with the best intentions, with the best tenacity, with, with, with the highest level of motivation, our human nature sometimes gets the best of us. 
So falling asleep spiritually, uh, you know, can allow us to be not ready for his coming. Um, you know, now, if you're born again and your name's in the Lamb's book of life you're, and you're saved, listen, you're not going to miss Jesus. Only two people believe me. Oh, no, I think I'm going to miss it. And th listen, this is not designed, this is designed to keep us sharp and make us useful and, and, and let there be oil in our lamps. But like the Holy Spirit's preparing his bride. So there are people who are not ready spiritually, who are not born again, who are religious but are unconverted, and, and they're going to be the ones with no oil in the lamp. Listen, today's the day of salvation, amen? If you got friends and you got family and you got coworkers that need Jesus, start to get aggressive. I'm just, I'm just saying, I want to take you off the leash. Why? Because time is short, and they need to be saved because they need to be ready for his coming. Amen. So... Uh, we have to combat this natural tendency we have in us to, you know, lose our focus, to fall asleep. And we combat it with balance. Learning to balance everything in our lives allows us to develop some spiritual stamina. Say balance. Have you ever met someone who is unbalanced? Some people are raising their hands. Put your hands down. If you've ever met someone who's unbalanced, you know the importance of balance. And we have to stay balanced if we're going to have this spiritual stamina to, to stay awake, to stay fresh, to keep oil in our lamps. And here's how we do it. Listen, being super spiritual all the time will wear you out. A lot of us are not in danger of this. But some people are. Super spiritual. I only prayed 23 hours today. I read the Bible twice last week, and I, you know, I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I think I'm going to quit my job because I need to do more fasting. Super spiritual. Did you ever meet someone? Unbalanced. And you're looking at them, and you're like, Lord, bless them, but keep them away from me. You know, because I got to maintain my balance. And when they're so super spiritual, so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, that is unsustainable. If you're super spiritual all the time, that will wear you out. Number two, if you are a perpetual emotional disaster, that will wear you out. You and I need to learn how to balance our emotions. The people who don't have balanced emotions are not looking at me right now. I know some of us are more emotional than others, but listen, our emotions can really get the best of us. Look what emotions did to Peter. Peter in his big mouth. Peter only took his foot out of his mouth when he was switching feet. <laughs> he constantly was speaking out of turn, saying foolish things. One time Jesus had to call him Satan and say, get behind me. I mean, Peter was an emotional disaster. You know, then he's, uh, he, he's following Jesus, and he had run away, and I don't know the man. He denies him three times. He, he, then he runs away, falls out. He, he goes into obscurity, an emotional disaster. Yet Peter on the other side of the upper room, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, is balanced. Being super spiritual all the time will wear you out. Being an emotional disaster will wear you out. And number three, being unhealthy in your body will wear you out. You see... 
the balance that we need here is body, soul, and spirit. That's the approach. We are three parts. We're trichotomous beings. We have a body. We, we have a spirit and a soul, and all these things work together, and we've got to keep them all healthy. If your body's not healthy, you're going to have a hard time serving God. If your emotions are unhealthy, you're going to have a hard time serving God. If your spirit is unhealthy, unbalanced, Now, balance never gets much clapping because you know what the truth is? It's hard. Can we, can we all agree on that? It's hard to be balanced. I was just saying to my wife today, I have so many things to do in a day that balancing these three areas, I have so many things in all of those categories to do that at the end of the day, I'm exhausted, I fall down, and there's a list of stuff I didn't get done. That goes on the next page for tomorrow. And the thing is, it can be hard to find balance, can it? So we have to prioritize. We have to do the most important things first. You know, I, I know there's things that, in so many areas, but we have to at least pray every day. We have to take care of our bodies every day. We have to eat well every day. We have to develop spiritually every day. We have to be in the Word of God and in prayer every day. So that's balance, and balance will help us stay ready to have spiritual stamina to not fall asleep to watch for his coming. Verse 34. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will no means pass away till all these things take place. Thanks. Nobody likes a dry preacher. So, verse 34. Let me read that to you again and then... I don't want your honest opinion on it. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. How many think of that statement that Jesus just said there to his disciples about the generation not passing away until all these things take place when that whole generation has passed away and it doesn't seem like these things have taken place? How many people find that a little bit confusing? If you, if you don't, you're not paying attention because it is a little confusing and we've got to dig in there a little bit. To the casual looker, you know, you're saying, well, Jesus, you're telling th this generation and, you know, and, and you said all these things are going to happen and all the disciples are dead and we know how they died in church history and, 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 and it didn't happen. It didn't take place. Well, we, we are not discerning what generation he's speaking about. See, and the thing is, comprehending the nuances of Scripture is vital to understanding the implications of what's being said in the text. Now, the nuance here is this. Jesus wasn't talking about their generation. He's talking about the last generation. He's talking about end-time things. He wasn't talking to them. Some people say, well, see, Jesus said this, and he said it to his disciples, and none of it happened. The Bible's all full of errors. I hear people say that all the time. And I just want to hit them with a Greek lexicon. They're really thick, you know. <laughs> Whack. I got into a discussion with some lady. She threw out all these things. Scripture's wrong about this, and Scripture's wrong about that, and Genesis, and where did people come from if Adam and Eve only had boys? And so I answered her questions, bing, bang, boom, text, ba, ba. And then, you know, she's like, well, there, there's all different other errors in there. And I said a few more things, and then she must have looked at my profile, and so I was a pastor, and then she backed down. <laughs> <laughs> She's figured I uh, got, got in the wrong fight here. But, you know, I was able to get through to her, but like the misconceptions. I was saying, really, you, Adam and Eve only had boys, so, you know, where do we come from? Uh, 
you know, these, these things are so simple to, to answer these questions, but people throw this stuff out there and they dismiss everything that has to do with God. The truth is Adam and Eve had had sons and daughters that aren't talked about in Scripture. The truth is when Seth came after Cain and Abel, he had a ton of daughters. That's where people began to multiply from. If you look genetically and follow the lineages back, they they go to a a single origin. We came from one, one cluster of people in that region where Adam and Eve were said to be. So... You know, there's answers for these questions, but people throw things out there and they dismiss everything that has to do with God. And we need to understand the nuances of Scripture. The truth is some people don't want to know the truth because they don't want to face God and deal with their own mess in the light of the fact that everything in here is true. And since it is, we're in trouble. (laughs) So we need balance. We need to answer the confusing things and try and help people along, but Jesus wasn't speaking to that specific generation there. You know, his disciples had their own, uh, their own course that they were going to follow, their own destinies, as it were, and, you know, they did fulfill all those things. You know, although some things that Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse did come to pass, the temple was destroyed by the Roman Gentiles, the Jews were dispersed, uh, there, you know, the, the Jews did have a great tribulation there under Rome. If you look back 70 AD when Jerusalem fell and the Romans uh, destroyed the place and scattered the Jews, a lot of what happened to them mirrored the things that Jesus was saying, but they're just a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the future. They're not the complete fulfillment of it. Remember I said the prophetic is always multidimensional. It has a fulfillment for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's the way the prophetic is. That's the way the word of God is. Why? Because it's living and it's breathing. So some things can be confusing in scripture, but we need to uh, dig into the scholarship that's out there and there are answers. And where there aren't answers, it's just some things we're just not going to know until we're with the Lord. And that's okay. We got to have some questions to answer, ask Jesus, besides, you know, is there a Bigfoot and are there UFOs? Verse 35, we're going to bring it in for a landing here. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Powerful statement from Jesus. Heaven and earth will pass away. There again, a foreshadowing. We talked about this, about the new heavens and the new earth that were going to come. Everything that was created will be uh, destroyed and recreated. Why? Because God is going to redeem creation. And when God redeems something, he makes it from brand new. He doesn't just, you know, refurbish an old, you know, uh, an old mess. Amen. How many would rather have a brand new house built to your specifications than a hundred year old mess that we're going to, that somebody's going to raise their hand that they want the hundred year old mess. (laughs) But most of us would want the brand new thing. And that's what God does. He does a new thing. So heaven and earth will pass away. This is a little reminder from Jesus about What's ultimately reliable for those of us who serve God in any generation? We don't rely on heaven. We don't rely on earth. We don't rely on created things. Uh, The opinions of men will pass away and become obsolete. Do you realize that? Things that people thought about science and geography and space 100 years ago, if if you read them now, it's almost laughable. Do you realize that the conclusions of science and philosophy and religion and medicine, all of those things have advanced because 
People know more now. Uh, you know, if you were alive during the Civil War and you had to go to the doctor's tent after, you know, being hurt in battle, it was a brutal thing. They were literally, you know, they're giving people leeches to suck blood. They're sawing off limbs with saw. They're making people drink alcohol and bite on sticks. That was medicine. How many are glad for the advancements? Well, science is advanced too. The things that they used to believe that were scientific, you know, and science is like, people who worship science are like, it's science, it's science. Yeah, but science is evolving. What science believed about the universe 50 years ago is obsolete now. Yet there are these people who worship science who demand we bow to their, their opinion of science now when you know what? The word of God is above science and the word of God is way advanced from what even man understands. There's a scripture in the heaven. There's a scripture that talks about the heavens being uh, pulled out like a tapestry. And I listened to a scientist explain that from what they looked at in the universe, that that's exactly w when the universe came into existence. How it, that the Bible was actually describing something that they had just discovered. And, and they're like, this is amazing. You know how? Well, how did this happen? You know. And, and and the reason is because the Word of God is above everything. And man is just learning and scratching the surface and getting to learn some things. But, you know, all of that is evolving. So heaven and earth will pass away. Uh, the opinions of men will pass away and become obsolete. Science, philosophy, uh, all of these things are growing, evolving. People are learning more things. The moral standards, the ethical standards, the societal standards, they're forever vacillating. You know, if you look at our grandparents' generation and their morality and the morality that we have now, they're not even in the same hemisphere. Things that you would be embarrassed to talk about in secret, people just blurt out in public now, and if you don't like it, you're the problem. So man's moral standards, his ethical standards, all that are vacillating, they're up and down, they're everywhere. Listen, but God's word will outlast it all. God's word will outlast the heavens and the earth, everything we see, everything we don't see, all the opinions of man, all the knowledge of man. God's word will survive it all. The heavens and earth will pass away, but this will never pass away. So this is a, just a little reminder here in verse 35 of what's ultimately reliable for us. You and I need to build our lives on the word of God. Not the opinions of man, not on the talk show host, not on, you know, what, what Dr. So-and-so says, the word of God. Why did Jesus put so much emphasis on the durability and the, the longevity of his word? Because according to John 1, 1 through 5, he is the word. Listen to this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing, even one thing came into being that has not come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not." So here's Jesus, the word, telling us we can bank on the word over all things because everything else will pass away, but the word will never pass away. Since Jesus is the word, he wanted us to know that without a doubt, we could rely on him in every and any circumstance, no matter what occurs. He's the eternal rock of our salvation, and he will never pass away, amen? No one will replace him. No one will dethrone him or subvert him or overrule him ever. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
and we can build our lives on the rock who is the word. We can bet our souls on Jesus. We can bet our souls on every word of scripture because they're the only things that are reliable. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for, again, another installment out of the Olivet Discourse, another installment in our text. Lord, I pray that uh, we would learn to be those who exercise discernment. God, if we have not developed our discernment, I pray that this week, Holy Spirit, you'd remind us that we need to pray about it. We need to fill ourselves with the word, and we need to ask you to activate the gift of discernment in us so that we can understand uncommon things, so that we can do the right things and have the right responses in, in this day, in this terminal generation, so that we could have stamina in watching for your coming. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. Let's give him praise tonight.